thank you for your presence here today, God. We thank you for the testimonies of your goodness, God, and, and your healing power. We know that you are alive, God, and that you are the same as you were yesterday and will forever be. And so we just thank you, Lord, that you want to speak to our hearts and to change us, God, and we want to have ears uh, to hear what you would say through the word today. And we thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. So I want you to repeat this, repeat this prayer after me. Avinu Malkenu, our Father and our King, give me eyes to see, ears to hear, a heart to perceive, and the will to obey what I hear today in Yeshua's name. Today's message is entitled Rav Shaul, Faith That Changed the World. Today, this is uh, the last in our series on heroes of the faith. Obviously, there are many more men and women we could look at through the scriptures, uh, but we just wanted to highlight a few of them in this eight-week series to encourage us as we seek to increase in our faith. And looking at Rav Shaul today, we can say that his faith literally changed the world. Think about it. He lived in a time where there uh, were no planes, trains, or automobiles. So he had to travel by foot, animal, or ship, and not the modern ships that we have today. There was no phone, email, text messages, or social media to get his message across. And yet he impacted uh, the known world in such a powerful way. Stanford University released a, a site called Orbis that allows you to calculate uh, the time and cost of travel in ancient Rome. So one man entered in the journeys of Rav Shaul, and these are the facts that he found in terms of the amount of miles that Rav Shaul traveled. So for the first journey, he traveled 1,581 miles, and it lasted 53 days. He also had the cost of it with a uh, cover as well. The second journey was 3,050 miles that lasted 100 days. The third journey that Rav Shaul went on was 3,307 miles that lasted 92 days. And the journey that took him to Rome uh, was 2,344 miles lasting 36 days. Towards the end of his journeys, he traveled more by ship. And that's why you see less days uh, because he's on ship. And even though it's not the type of ships we have, it was obviously much faster than on foot or on a... Uh, an animal. So you put that all together, he traveled over 10,282 miles, which is quite awesome when you think about it. Again, we can get on the plane and, and, and you know, go to, to Israel and be there within eight hours, right, Rebecca, just to get on ten and a half, right? And there you are, right? In addition to all this traveling that he did, as I said, you know, he didn't have the tools that we have. Like, we, are, we try to use social media a lot as a congregation to let people know about things uh, that we are ha <clears throat> happening, having here at Beth Emanuel. You know, I have made contacts on Facebook, people who I'm still following up with who like something, and he didn't have any of those things. And yet, history records that he probably established 20 congregations himself. Again, in a day where there was no social media, nothing, uh, none of the modern conveniences we have, and that those congregations then planted many, many more. And the reality is that his faith made in, an indelible mark in history that touches our lives today. 
Rav Shaul, faith that changed the world. That's the kind of faith that we want to have. His faith changed the lives of so many people, and he was part of a generation that completely changed the atmosphere, the climate, and the culture of the world. And that should be who we want to be. So let's look at some of the things on Rav Shaul so that we can be encouraged this morning because God wants us to have faith that will change our world and our sphere of influence. And the first thing that we see is that Rav Shaul was an unlikely candidate to be a hero of faith. Most of us know the story of Rav Shaul, and he started out as one of the greatest opposers to the Messianic faith. Looking at Acts chapter 7, verse 58, and into chapter 8, and then going to chapter 9. You can read it along there on the screen. And this is picking up the story of Stephen. Rabbi Michael spoke on Stephen last week. And it says, They threw him outside the city, meaning Stephen, and began stoning him. And the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Shaul. And Shaul gave his approval to his murder. Starting with that day, there arose intense, say intense, intense persecution against the Messianic community in Jerusalem. All but the emissaries were scattered throughout the regions of Yehuda and Shomron. But Shaul set out to destroy, do you hear that? To destroy the Messianic community. Entering house after house, he dragged off both men and women and handed them over to be put in prison. Going to chapter 9. Meanwhile, Shaul, still breathing murderous threats against the Lord's Talmudim, went to the Kohen Hakadol and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, authorizing him to arrest any people he might find, whether men or women, who belong to the way, and bring them back to Jerusalem. Wow, when you read this, this is not exactly something one would want to put on their resume to become a hero of faith. Okay? You know, that you are one who persecuted strongly, viciously, vehemently the faith that you now want to say you to be a hero of. Think about it. He was not just opposed to faith in Messiah. He did not just reject the faith for himself but he actively sought to persecute, imprison, and even see believers in Messiah Yeshua sentenced to death. As it says, he actively sought, actively sought to destroy the Messianic community. But this didn't disqualify him in Adonai's eyes from being a hero of faith. And I think that's important for us to grab hold of this morning. Because sometimes we get this feeling that we're just not cut out to be heroes of faith. So as we've gone through these seven, up to this point, seven men and women that we've been discussing, in our minds I can hear us rationalizing, well, you know, that's, you know, Gideon, that's Deborah. Of course, they're a hero of faith, but, you know, I can't be a hero of faith like that. See, we know who we really are, Right? We see our foibles, the inconsistencies in our life, the real us, and we're not sure that who we are is what a hero of faith looks like. 
But I want to encourage you this morning. The reality is there's not one person here listening in the sanctuary or listening on the podcast who is naturally qualified to be a hero of faith. While we may not have been as defiant as Rav Shaul, none of us have anything in and of ourselves that would cause God to say, Ah, Carol, she's a hero of faith. Oh, Michael, he's a hero of faith. He's a great hero. Nah. None of us have anything in and of ourselves. But the good news is God is not looking for someone who has all of these great qualifications. Right? He takes the unlikely choice and turns that person into a man or woman of great faith. And that's what happened to Rob Shaul. We look at the end of Rav Shaul's life, we realize that he wrote most of the New Covenant, and we think, wow, this man is so amazing. But don't forget how he began. He was so violent in his opposition to the good news of Messiah, seeking not to just come stand against it, but again to destroy people who believed in Yeshua. But God wanted to use this man and turned him into a great hero of faith. So I want you to be encouraged that nothing you have done, nothing in your past disqualifies you from becoming a hero of faith. Rav Shaul knew he was not the obvious choice. That's why he wrote in his letter to the Corinthians, and he told them, Adonai chooses the weak things, right? The lowly things, the despised things. And the things that are not. And what it takes is a willingness on our part to simply believe and cooperate with God. And that's what we see happen to Rob Shaul. Like him, we each can be radically transformed. He was an unlikely candidate, but he was radically transformed. Let's pick up the story there in Acts chapter 9. So he got this permission from the Kohen Haggadol, and now he's going to Damascus. Or Damascus is what we call it in, in English today. And he is going there, again, full of energy, passionate with the cause that he has. And that cause is to destroy Messianic believers. And let's read what happened here in verse 3. He was on the road and nearing Damascus when suddenly, say suddenly, a light from heaven flashed all around him. You know, this was a man opposed to to Messiah. Many of us have family members who are strongly opposed to Messiah. You know, I've shared with you in in some of the words for the week how we have been pressing in and, and fasting and believing and praying for salvation of family members. But you need to believe for a suddenly to take place in, in some of your family members. Suddenly, God showed up, and Rav Shaul was radically transformed. That family member who is so strongly opposed to Messiah right now and to what you believe, I want you to get a vision of what took place with Rav Shaul and to believe that suddenly God can move and radically change and transform that family member. That's a word for someone here today. Believe for radical transformation. So this light from heaven flashed all around him. In fact, my family, because we pray together as a family for this, it's on Mondays, if you ever want to join us, that Monday is our day. We're fasting and praying for unsaved loved ones. 
but we are often praying God for radical transformation of our family members, like a Rav Shaul experience, praying that God would grip their hearts and radically turn and change them around. So falling on the ground, he heard this voice saying to him, Shaul, Shaul, why do you keep persecuting me? Sir, who are you? He asked. I am Yeshua, and you are persecuting me. But get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you have to do. The men traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. They helped Shaul get up off the ground. But when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus, And for three days, he remained unable to see, and he neither ate nor drank. Going down to verse 18 in chapter 9. Ananias comes and prays over him. And it says, in that moment, something like scales fell away from Shaul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was immersed. Then he ate some food and regained his strength. Shaul spent some days with the Talmudim in Damascus, and immediately, say immediately, immediately he began preaching in the synagogues that Yeshua is the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed. They asked, isn't he the man who in Jerusalem was trying to destroy the people who call on this name? In fact, isn't that why he came here to arrest them and bring them back to the head Kohanim? But Shaul was being filled with more and more power and was creating an uproar among the Jews living in Damascus with his proofs that Yeshua is the Messiah. What a transformation. He came here to destroy and to kill people who believed in Yeshua as the Messiah. He was radically transformed on that road, and immediately he began to preach that Yeshua is the Messiah of Israel, and so much so that people were amazed. This is the same man who was so adamant in opposing us, and now he's here convincing with proof that Yeshua is the Messiah. That's how you have to see your loved ones, that they are so radically transformed and changed that they begin to preach Yeshua, the Messiah, to their friends and to the people around them. God did it for Rav Shaul. He will do it for us. He has done it for us, and he wants to do it for our loved ones as well. This man who was threatening anyone who even mentioned the name of Yeshua is now boldly proclaiming that he alone is the Messiah. See, on that road to Damascus, he had a real encounter with the living God of Israel. And that God is still alive today. And he desires to transform each one of us. And it begins by accepting Yeshua as our personal Messiah and means of atonement. You see, if you and I truly encounter the living God of Israel through Yeshua, our lives will be forever changed by that initial counter, encounter. Rav Shaul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is united with the Messiah, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Look, what has come is fresh and new. But it doesn't stop there. That's just the beginning. Transformation, as we shared in our series earlier this year on transformation, is an ongoing process. It's a continual process process. And when we look at the life of Rav Shaul, we see that he was committed to that process. He continually yielded his life 
to Adonai, allowing God to challenge him, allowing God to mold him, allowing God to instruct him and to correct him and direct him. That's why he said, you know, to me to live as Messiah. You know, I consider everything but rubbish that I might press towards that one goal, and that's to know Messiah and to make him known on the earth. You see, Rav Shaul didn't say after that experience there on the road to Damascus, okay, I have atonement for myself. Let me do whatever I want and however I want. You see, a life that has been radically transformed is a life that is dedicated to Adonai, to God Almighty, and to seeing his kingdom established on this earth. You see, Rav Shaul now took those same energies that drove him to pursue Messianic believers and turn those energies into preaching the good news to Jew and Gentile alike. His purpose was to touch as many people with the truth about Yeshua so that they too could be transformed and brought out of darkness into the kingdom of light as we read in the Torah service today. You see, like Rav Shaul, our radical transformation isn't an end in and of itself. Yes, Of course, it means that my name and your name is written in the book of life. Hallelujah, right? How awesome that is. But Rav Shaul was not content with that, and neither should we be. So often we are energetic and passionate about so many things in our life, whether it be pursuing an education, getting a certain job, our children's extracurricular activities, a sports team we like, etc., but we don't put that same energy and passion into pursuing God and seeing his kingdom established through our lives, that we would change the world around us. You know, my, husband, my son mentioned that in his, his Devar Torah, it's a phrase that we've used for years, and I often speak this, especially to the children as they go through the bar mitzvah training, and I always tell them there's a purpose on your life. And I believe that there's a destiny on their life. And that destiny is that we are to be history makers in our generation. That's what Rav Shaul was, a history maker. He changed the known world. So a hearer of faith who is one, is one who will passionately pursue Adonai. And we can see that at Rav Shaul. Again, when you read through, and I, I'm just touching the tip of the iceberg because there's so much about Rav Shaul through the book of Acts. And then when you read through all the, the letters he wrote to the Kehilot, you find so much more about him. But you can say without a shadow of doubt that he was passionate in pursuing Adonai, and he fervently sought to establish the kingdom of God in his sphere of influence. And as we do this like Rav Shaul, the third thing we must do is to persevere Turn to your neighbor and say, persevere in the faith. We've got to persevere through rejection and persecution. Picking up in Acts 13 and then Acts 14, reading some verses. You can follow along on the screen there, beginning in verse 1. In the Antioch congregation were prophets and teachers. <coughs> Barnabas, Shimon, known as the Black, Lucius from Cyrene. Menachem, who had been brought up with Herod the governor, and Shaul. One time when they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Ruach HaKodesh said to them, Set aside for me Barnabas and Shaul for the work to which I have called them. After fasting and praying, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. 
So these two, after they'd been sent off by the Ruach HaKodesh, went down to Seleucia, and from there sailed to Cyprus. After landing in Salamis, they began proclaiming the word of God in the synagogues, with Yochanan Mark as an assistant. <coughs> Looking at verse 50 in that uh, chapter 13. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the women, God-fearers of high social standing, and the leading men of the city, and they organized persecution against Shaul and Barnabas and expelled them from their district. Going now to chapter 14, verse 19. Then some unbelieving Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. They won over the crowds. They stoned Shaul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. Many people believe he really was dead, and God raised him from the dead. But as the Talmudim gathered around him, he got up and went back into the town. And the next day, he left with Barnabas for Derby. Rav Shaul's boldness and perseverance is seen here in these few verses. And you, you could see, again, read through the book of Acts. You'll see this happening over and over again, that his boldness in sharing his faith in the Yeshua, the Messiah, was met with great opposition. You know, living in America, we still have so many religious freedoms. It is sometimes difficult for us to relate to the list of things that Rav Shaul suffered just because he was a believer in Yeshua. And yes, I know the climate of our country has been changing and has changed over the last 30 years, and we mention that often, but still, we have much more freedoms, and we are not facing the same type of persecution that Rav Shaul faced or that many of our brothers and sisters in countries around the world face. I'm on the email list. I know Myrna was on this mailing list too, Voice of the Martyrs. Sign up and you will see this is about men and women who are constantly being persecuted, dying for their faith in Yeshua. That's not something we face. Yes, we're persecuted and there's opposition to us, but we still have so much freedom here in America. And we shouldn't be surprised that the people who oppose God oppose us as well. So in 2 Corinthians 11, Rav Shaul lists the things that he endured as a hero of faith. He said that he was beaten eight times. He was stoned once, that time that we just mentioned, as I said, something he really did die and was raised from the dead. He was shipwrecked three times. He spent an entire night and day on the waters of the sea after one of those shipwrecks. And then listen to the rest of the things he mentions there in 2 Corinthians 11. I'm reading this from the Message Bible. In hard traveling year in and year out, I've had to ford rivers, fend off robbers, struggle with friends, struggle with foes. I've been at risk in the city, at risk in the country, endangered by desert sun and sea storm, and betrayed by those I thought were my brothers. <clears throat> I've known drudgery and hard labor, <clears throat> many a long and lonely night without sleep, Many a missed mill, blasted by the cold, naked to the weather, and that's not the half of it. When you throw in the daily pressures and anxieties of all the kehilot, the congregation, when someone gets to the end of his rope, I feel that desperation in my bones. When someone is duped into sin, an angry fire burns in my gut. Being a hero of faith is not an easy thing. Now, my family is into superheroes, so when Evan sent me that video about the superhero mom, I was like, oh, this is a good one. So 
we prefer Marvel over DC, just saying. You, you might be a DC fan, but we like the Marvel heroes better. Right, Andy? Yes. So, But being a superhero is not a job for the faint of heart. So we like those scenes when you read in the comics or you see the movies where the hero saves the day and he receives all the accolades for, for his heroic actions. But there, those moments are few and far between for those heroes. In fact, sometimes the people that the superhero saves in the comics actually turns against them. And spiritually speaking, being a hero of faith has its challenges too. There will be difficulties that we experience. People will not always respond positively to our message of hope in Yeshua the Messiah. We don't get it. I mean, to us, it's like the, the, the greatest news we have. Right? It's the greatest news anyone could have. And why they wouldn't be so excited about it. It doesn't make sense in, in our minds why they get upset. Because we are giving them the best thing that they could ever, ever, ever be given. But friends, we cannot get angry at them. There are people who are hopelessly lost without a personal relationship to the creator of the world through the Messiah, Yeshua. And neither should we shrink back from preaching the good news because of their rejection. Too many times we are intimidated by others in our family even, in our workplace and in our community. And this intimidation makes us shrink back in fear. And the enemy, he plays uh, with our minds and he tells us, no one ever say yes to you. So why share the hope that you have? But I want to tell you, no one will ever say yes if you don't share the hope. Rob Shaul didn't pack his bag and go home after the first shipwreck. Three times he was shipwrecked. He didn't stop preaching the good news because he was beaten. So he was beaten eight times. And in fact, in Acts 14, when he was stoned and left for dead, it says he got back up and went into the city of the people who just stoned him. He persevered. So what? They don't like me. So what? They don't like my message. Am I going to shut up? Anyone? No. I'm not going to withhold the truth of the good news that will radically change and transform my family member or that co-worker or that Jewish person that I have been sharing with just because they get mad at me. Or they tell me to shut up and don't ever share that with me again. Has that ever happened to anyone? Of course. In fact, some of us were those people who told other people, shut up and don't tell me that again. Friends, as heroes of faith, we have to persevere through whatever trial, persecution, or rejection comes our way. I want to encourage you, don't give up. Breakthrough is right around the corner. We were sharing this with the leadership team last week. That so often people give up right before the answer comes. I want to tell you, don't give up. And again, this is radical transformation because it's on my heart because we have been pressing in for our family members and we are praying for your family members. I can tell you 
We have been calling out a lot of your family members by name and praying for them, for their restoration and salvation. And I want to tell you, don't give up. Don't shrink back and say, it's too difficult. They're too far gone. That is not true. God loves your child. God loves your spouse. God loves your mother, your, your aunt, your uncle, your cousin, whoever it is that you're standing in faith for. And you need to press in and persevere in prayer until you see them bend their knee to Messiah Yeshua. What's the option if you don't? They will spend eternity. Eternity. What is eternity, friends? Forever. Separated from the presence of God and in the place of torment. Friends, I don't want that for any of my family members. Sometimes when it's time to pray, I immediately begin to weep and cry. I can just tell you, as you begin to fast on a regular basis, you are more sensitive. I can immediately begin to weep and cry and intercede. I have two brothers that if something should happen to them right now, would not make it to heaven. Friends, not on my watch. I'm pressing in to see change. It sounds it seems like a gazillion nephews and nieces and great nephews and nieces, too many to number. The majority of who are not in a relationship with God. And if my family and I don't press in and persevere for who their, for their salvation, who's going to do it? If you can't fast for your family member and persevere to see them saved, who's going to do it? If you don't care enough for them, don't give up. But Rabbi Carol, you don't understand how bad the situation is. Friends, I have family members. Okay? I can tell you some bad, desperate situations over the years with these family members. But you have to persevere. And press in, believing for their salvation. You never give up on seeing the kingdom of God established through your life. And let it begin with your family. Have faith for your family. That this place would be filled with your family members sitting here worshiping with you. Mine's all in Missouri, sorry. They could come and visit us and... In fact, last night I had a dream that my brother Ralph was here. So I have to call and tell him that he's here. And that Joan Lopez, I have to call her too. My dream was, you know, I'm up here on the platform and, and, uh, and my husband's trying, well, my husband was just going to sing me a song. I told him this. I said, you, had, you wrote another song for me and you're trying to get me off so you can sing this song. And I'm saying, but it's not our anniversary. You shouldn't have written a song for, uh, for Mother's Day, right? This is what I'm thinking. And all of a sudden I see Joan Lopez sitting right there behind where my husband is now. And so I get off, and then all of a sudden I see my brother over there where Myrna is. I'm like, my brother Ralph is here? No one told me, right? And everything. So I digress, right? But you should expect to see your family member here worshiping with you. Because you have persevered. You have pressed in. And you have preached the good news of Yeshua the Messiah. Even when they said, shut up, I don't want to hear it anymore. Happened to you, right, my husband? Had one brother-in-law who always came over and shared. And Michael reacted very vehemently against it. 
but would go into his room and, and say, I know what he's saying is true. Three years, right? Three or four years before my husband accepted Yeshua. But because that brother-in-law didn't shut up and continued to preach the good news, he was an instrument that God used that brought Rabbi Michael to faith. So don't be deterred because your family member is like defiant and telling you, leave me alone. I don't want your religious stuff. Because my husband was there. And look at him today. See your family member. Persevere to see them come to faith. And that wasn't even in my notes about family members. God wants us to be encouraged with that. Don't give up. Breakthrough. Rob Shaul touched most of the known world of his day with the good news of Messiah. He was used most powerfully by Adonai because of his perseverance. Again, he knew he had the best news, and he was committed to boldly sharing that wherever he went. As people who are seeking to increase in our faith, I want to encourage us, let's have that same attitude. We will not give up until our loved ones come to faith. We will not stop reaching out until we see revival among our Jewish community. We will not capitulate under the pressure of Hasatan. We will press into prayer, knowing that it's the key to seeing release come into our lives and our family and our community. And yes, friends, we will lay our lives down if need to be to see our world transformed for the kingdom of God. Rav Shaul was ready to do that. That he was beaten, he says, to live is Messiah, to die is gain. Whatever it took. And in the midst of every difficulty and challenge, we need to learn to do what Rav Shaul did. And I close with this last point. I had a lot more, but Time, you know, that'd be for another day. Rav Shaul rejoiced in all circumstances, Acts chapter 16. But when their owner saw what had come about, this was this girl that Rav Shaul had uh, cast the demon out, and there was no further prospect of profit for them, they seized Shaul and Sila and dragged them to the market square to face the authorities. Bringing them to the judges, they said, these men are causing a lot of trouble in our city since they are Jews. I'll tell you, anti-Semitism is alive and well in our world today. And, uh, you know, just for being Jewish, you know, things come against us. It just this came to my mind. My sister-in-law, a couple years ago, this was the strangest thing. She pulled into the bank parking lot, and, and as she pulled in this this uh, uh, other customer got out of the car and starts yelling at her, and she says, what are you doing parking like a Jew? And, and nothing, my sister even knew what the, that meant. I don't even know what it meant. But it, it was an, it, obviously an anti-Semitic remark towards her, and my sister-in-law locked her car and wasn't going to get out, you know, because this woman was so, you know, violent and upset at her. But that statement, is, well, parking like a Jew, because it's an anti-Semitic spirit. And so this is what they said. They brought them here because they were Jews. And what they're doing is advocating customs that are against the law for us to accept or practice since we are Romans. And the mob joined in the attack against them, and the judges tore their clothes off them in order that they be flogged. And after giving them a severe beating, they threw them into prison, 
charging the jailer to guard them securely. Upon receiving such an order, he threw them into the inner cell and clamped their feet securely between heavy blocks of wood. Around midnight, Shaul and Sila were praying and singing hymns to God while the other prisoners listened attentively. Continue to read in Acts chapter 16. What happens is God shows up and breaks the shackles. Rav Shaul writes to the Kehilah in Philippians, Rejoice in the Lord, and again I say rejoice. This, uh, this letter was written while he was in prison in Rome. Sixteen times he mentions joy and rejoicing in the book of Philippians. Rav Shaul did not let his circumstances dictate, dictate excuse me, his attitude of worship and praise, his rejoicing in the Lord. You know, we get a hangnail and we fall apart. You know, oh. Really, friends, faith in Adonai does not mean the absence of difficulty or even pain. But it does mean that we have someone with us to walk through that difficulty and pain. And it's when we recognize this truth that God is with us even in the darkest hour of our lives that we can rejoice. How could Rav Shaul and Silas rejoice while they were in prison? How can we rejoice when we are experiencing pain and difficulty in our lives? It is because we know... Say, I know that in the end, all things, say all things, work together for my good. Now, Rob Shaul did not know when he started rejoicing that God was going to open the shackles. I mean, we have the, the, the ability to see the story after it all took place. But he wasn't rejoicing because he knew that was exactly what God was going to do. He was rejoicing because he knew that all things, say it, work together for his good. And because he knew that, he rejoiced, even though he was in that prison cell. We can be confident that God is for us and not against us. We rejoice because we know that God is the strength of our lives, and in him we can find refuge and safety from the storms of life. Unfortunately, we often want to wait to see something happen, and then we will rejoice. When the shackles break off, then I'll rejoice, God. See, that was not Rob Shaul's stance. As a hero of faith, he knew that no matter where he found himself, no matter if he was high on the mountain or down in the valley low, he would choose to rejoice and worship God. The prophet Habakkuk speaks of this when he says, Though the fig tree uh, doesn't blossom, there's no fruit on the vine. When the stalls are empty, he says, yet will I praise the Lord. Listen to it from the Message Bible. Though the cherry trees don't blossom and the strawberries don't ripen, though the apples are worm-eaten and the wheat filled stunted, though the sheep pens are sheepless and the cattle barns empty, I'm singing joyful praise to God. I'm turning cartwheels of joy, that's Miss Chris's department, cartwheels, to my Savior God. Counting on God's rule to prevail, I take heart and gain strength. I run like a deer. I feel like I'm king of the mountain. Wow, what an attitude of worship and rejoicing. It's not something that we normally see in the Kehilah. 
Too often we walk around with that perpetual cloud over our heads, like you see in the cartoons. And I can hear you say, oh, but Rabbi Carol, you don't understand. My life is a mess. If you could just see it, nothing is going right, and I have no reason to rejoice. Yes, I do understand, friends. I could go through the list of things that are wrong in my life. And if we focus on these things, it will always bring us down and get us depressed. But what Rob Shaul did as a hero of faith, what the prophet Habakkuk chose was to focus on the God they served, who was greater and more powerful than anything that they were facing. So my encouragement to you today is to rejoice in the Lord. Who is like our God? There is no one. He alone stretches out the heaven, as we say in the Elenu prayer. He holds the world in the palm of his hands. Nothing that you or I are facing is too difficult for him. And when we rejoice and worship, it's putting our focus where it needs to be. That's on the God who does the impossible, who performs the miraculous. As I close, I want to say to you, men of faith, woman of faith, rejoice in the Lord. Rise up and worship him in the midst of your storm and in the midst of your pain. You will be amazed at what Adonai does. We are told, as we are encouraged even in worship, that he sits enthroned on the praises of his people. As we know, as I said in the story, when Rav Shaul and Silas praised God in that prison jail, he came down and broke the chains and opened the prison doors And the end result was not just that Shaul and Silas were set free, but that jailer and his entire family came to faith. You see, you got to get the bigger picture. Your freedom, yes, it's for you, and yes, my freedom is for me, and I can rejoice in that, but it's much greater than that. My freedom represents the freedom for other people. Your freedom represents freedom for other people. Rejoicing allows God to move in our lives to bring breakthrough for us, but to also touch the lives of others around us. There's so much more that could be said about Rob Shaul as a hero of faith. However, I believe the things we've heard today should inspire us as we seek to increase our faith. like Rob Shaul and the other men and women who we've studied in this series, we can each become a superhero in our sphere of influence. It doesn't take a lot, friends. The most important thing is a willing spirit. When you look back at these men and women that we've discussed over the past eight weeks, the first step was always a willing spirit. <clears throat> People who will say wholeheartedly, not just with their mouths, but with their actions and attitudes, that they will follow and submit to Adonai every day. You see, each of these heroes recognized that their lives were not their own. The world we live in today needs superheroes of faith. It desperately needs men and women and young people who dare to believe in the God of the Bible and dedicate their lives to pursuit of him and to establishing his kingdom in their community. The known world in the first century was turned upside down and impacted by the Bissarah of Yeshua, 
through Rav Shaul and the other men and women who followed Yeshua 100%. Friends, I want to see my world change. As I shared earlier, I have loved ones who need to come to faith. My heart's desire is to see a great awakening here on Long Island and in this greater New York area that would impact the Jewish people like we've never seen before. The Jewish people that God called me from Missouri and called my family and this congregation to reach. So I want to encourage us as we close, let's rise up as men and women of faith to change our world so that generations after us will look back and say, that was a congregation of people who went after God 100% and they changed the sphere of their influence. That Long Island would be changed because of you and me. That the Jewish community of Long Island, this greater metropolitan area, would be changed because of you and me and this congregation. Friend, God is looking for people to be heroes of faith. Will you be a hero? Will you be a hero? It starts by just saying, yes, I'm giving it to you, God, and I'm going to pursue you 100%. My life is not my own. It belongs to you. Let's rise as we close in prayer. Hashem, we thank you for your word. As we prayed at the beginning, we just pray that you would help us to be doers of your word. As we leave this place today, I pray that the truths that you have spoken to our hearts would penetrate deep, and God, that there would be change. Change, change, change. God, I don't want to hear, oh, what a good message, Rabbi Carol. I want to see change in my life and in the life of everyone who has heard this message today. So God, use this word to change us so that like Rav Shaul changed his world, God, we could change our world, change our families, change our workplace, change our community. God, the atmosphere would change, the climate would change, and the culture would change because we walk in faith, not in ourselves, Adonai, but in you, the God, who is the God of impossible. And we thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to close with the Ronnie benediction. Rabbi Michael's going to walk to the back. I'm going to meet you, to greet you, and I'll join him there. Remind you of prayer this afternoon at 2, Hebrew at 3, and uh, sign up in the sheets on the foyer, work day next week, and the seminar on June the 10th. May Adonai bless you and keep you. May Adonai make his face shine on you and show you his favor. Isa Adonai Panavaleka Vyasimla Kashalom. May Adonai lift up his face toward you and give you peace. May you walk in the peace and joy of God Almighty this week. And may you be a hero of faith in your sphere of influence. Amen.